This is the This is the This is the Brain This is the Brain Language This is the Brain Language Podcast. This is the Brain Language Podcast. This is the Brain Language Podcast. Welcome to the Brain Language Podcast, where we discuss NLP concepts to help you in your business and your life. I'm Alex Toling. And I'm Susan Stageman. And today's episode, episode number 51, we're going to be talking about sleight of mouth. What is sleight of mouth? Well, sounds nefarious. I know it does. (laughs) You've heard that expression, sleight of hand, right? Sleight meaning cunning or artful or crafty. Sleight of hand was kind of a magic that close up card magicians did back in the old days. But sleight of mouth, they do have that magical quality. Robert Diltz, in 1980, he modeled the argument and persuasive patterns of people like Plato and Socrates, you know, what they wrote, folks, not literally, but, you know, from their writings, <laughs> uh, Jesus, uh, Abraham Lincoln, Gandhi, Clarence Darrow, Shakespeare's Mark Anthony, Milton Erickson, and Richard Bandler, who are obvious, were contemporaries uh, for a while. But Diltz attempted to encode the key mechanisms that these individuals used to effectively persuade others and to influence belief systems. So that's where the sleight of mouth nomenclature came from. It's patterned after the sleight of hand, which was card tricks. Okay. How many patterns are there? I think, if I'm not mistaken, around 16, but I'd have to count them. I'm not really sure. And we're going to do maybe three of them today just to get you started. And then we'll do in subsequent podcasts, we'll do some of the other ones. All right. Yeah. So a, a system of language patterns for persuasion in conversational belief change. So Correct. I heard this said once in persuading somebody got to kind of break down the belief systems to get to, I guess, a, a, an outcome that's good for both you and, and the other person. Correct. All right. So how do we use the sleight of mouth to actually accomplish this? And how is it good for both people without coming off as manipulative or well sometimes it black can, magic yeah right sometimes <laughs> it can seem rather manipulative i think that almost any really good communicator uses some form of sleight of mouth when they're wanting to be persuasive or influence belief change or influence beliefs so their verbal reframes Uh, that influence beliefs and the mental maps that they come from. As an NLP student, the purpose of them is to shift or reframe various elements of a belief. And in order to do that, all beliefs are made up of a couple of things. Aside from evidence, all beliefs have evidence. And they have to have a meaning, something means something, or they have to have some kind of cause-effect relationship. So what the sleight-of-mouth pattern for the NLP student is to widen or enrich a person's map of the world. It's, to, it's not necessarily to change a belief. It's just to open their, the listener's present belief to doubt and then opening them up to believing something more empowering, although we don't necessarily know 
what's more empowering. That's just left to the listener. So these verbal reframes are extremely powerful. And again, I think that most excellent communicators use some form of reframing, verbal reframing. Now, back in the practitioner level, we studied punch reframes. Do you remember those punch reframes or meta reframes? Yes. Yes. So we had those sentences, you know, my my daughter never shuts up and or uh, I, you know how that goes. Yeah. Well, anyway, well, you don't have a daughter, but you have a couple of sons. Maybe one of them's a little chatty, <laughs> a chatty Charlie, as we say. But they have a magical quality to them because oftentimes when people, he- you know, people will make a statement about something that is limiting them in some way. Something means something which is limiting or Something causes something else, which is a limitation. So when you use sleight of mouth on either the meaning or the cause effect, or sometimes you can do both, what happens is it pops a person into a different way or a more expansive way of looking at something. And that's the purpose of sleight of mouth. Now, one other thing I was going to mention, Alex, before we actually get into some of the mechanics of it, is that I call this black belt of tongue or tongue foo, because it does have that quality of it, that kind of tongue foo quality, where somebody says something and you come back with something that's just, you know, very, it can be very clever, but that's not the point of sleight of mouth is to be clever. The point of sleight of mouth is to open up to doubt what a person is thinking about something so they can be open to believing something else. And I think what's interesting is a lot of people say, you know, I thought of the greatest thing to say to this person three days later, right? (laughs) (laughs) What sleight of mouth teaches us is, oh, to be able to come back right away and say something, not wait, you know, 72 hours and then come back and say something, you know, clever, uh, or enriching, whatever the case may be. Right. So how do you uh, train somebody to, to recognize the pattern on the spot? How does, what does that look like? Well, repetition, repetition, repetition. So I know from teaching sleight of mouth to my master's students for, gosh, 25 years or more, that in the beginning, they kind of start, stop. It's just like learning anything new. Alex, and we've talked about learning how NLP has a lot of patterning in it. You know, it has the meta programs, the sleight of mouth patterns. It has the indirect suggestion patterns. And so anytime you have a lot of patterning like that, in the beginning, because your brain's not used to it, used to it in that conscious way of using it, sometimes it's a little stop and go. But as your brain gets used to something, using something, then what happens is it just, you know, people just click, click, click. So I tell people at the beginning of a weekend, the first couple of these are, they're not difficult, but they'll seem more difficult than when you're finished. But at the end of the weekend, you'll be just slinging these like nobody's business (laughs) without even thinking of them. So that's the pattern of learning in some respects. You have to pay attention in the beginning, and then it becomes second nature. 
and it gets easier and easier as you go along. Some of these are easy. You know, you'd think, well, that's how is that a sleight of mouth pattern? That's something I would just normally ask. And that's okay. I mean, just to know that it's, it is part of that body of information in which highly effective communicators use to put people into thinking something a little bit different or sending their brain in a different direction. So a lot of it is just repetition to get back to what your question was. You have to remember that beliefs are typically expressed in the form of either a meaning or a cause effect. So, the best slide of mouth comes from beliefs, complete belief statements. They have to have either a meaning or a cause effect. So, an example, you come home late every night and that means you don't love me. So, sometimes people don't say it like that. They'll say, you come home every night. You must not love me. Well, you know, even though they didn't say that means I don't love you, I mean that's implied that that you don't love me, that if you did come home every night at a regular time, at an appropriate time, that that would mean that you do love me. That's not necessarily true. But, (laughs) uh, right? (laughs) But people get in their mind meaning of things that may or may not exist, and that can be very limiting to them. I mean, think about if you have a whole list of things, a whole list of behaviors that your partner has to do in order for you to know that they love you, which may or may not be in the map of your partner. And so, one person is going to be very unhappy, and it's the meaning maker, not necessarily the partner. (sighs) Right. So, cause effects might be you don't love me because you come home late every night. So, it's the same idea, but it's just a different structure of the sentence. And you want to be able to, what could you say to the person to help them have a different meaning to this or reframe or redefine words in what they're saying to to have a more positive implication? So, being late means I'm a busy person. doesn't necessarily mean I don't love you. It just means that I'm a very busy person. You know, so the idea is it expands the map of what being late can mean to a person. Yeah, the belief structure is pretty interesting to me because the number of occurrences, it could be two occurrences, but the belief and pattern becomes it's all the time, right? Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, sometimes things don't really happen that often, but we extrapolate it. It's as if our brain takes it and duplicates <laughs> duplicates the error over and over again. And so you get the idea that this must happen all the time. And that's actually some of the things that people say. This happens all the time. Yeah. Well, it doesn't happen all the time. All the time presupposes that there are no counterexamples. And, you know, we've talked about beliefs before. To every belief, there's counterexamples because beliefs are just generalizations. And in a generalization, it creates a border, a frame, an outline. 
And so things are going to be included in the generalization, in the frame, and then there are going to be things in order to make the generalization, there are going to be things outside the frame. So there's always going to be counter examples. All right. So I come home late. So I'm 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 not loving I'm not loving my significant other. That's right. <laughs> so she says, "You must not love me. You come home late every night, or you don't love me because you come home late every night." Well, being late means I'm a busy person. This is redefining what late means. So what are some? Can you think of some other things <laughs> that late? can mean. Um, being late means that I work really hard to be able to live in this house yeah. <laughs> or go on nice vacations or, yeah. So there's all kinds of things that being late can be redefined for. So uh, another one would be, well, it's not that I'm late. It's just that I take my time. So that's a redefined. That has a maybe more positive implication than uh, being late, presupposing that something's wrong. Well, sometimes people just, you know, take their time. Sometimes they take their time so that they don't have accidents or this is not late now. When I don't show up for 24 hours, then I'm late. You know, taking late and making it <laughs> longer in time <laughs> before late before late happens. So redefining is actually, I think it's a fun one. And it's one that you could pick up really easily. The patterns of speech, each one of these, almost all of them have patterns of speech. So the redefined one is, it's not that I am or you are, it's that, or it means. Those are the two patterns of speech. So if someone says, driving fast when another person is in the car is dangerous. Okay, so it's not that I am dangerous. It's that I like taking the car out for a thrill. Now, maybe some people would define that as dangerous. But um, the idea on redefine is to get a person to look at it in a different way, which is the purpose of all of them. Okay. So what's another sentence, Alex? What what would be another sentence with something that we could redefine? Well, sure. So just I'm not late. I'm I'm avoiding traffic so that I can be in a better state when I get home. Yeah, there you go. That's perfect. Yeah, I'm just taking so, the long way. Yeah. Yeah. So I can so I can love you better. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and not be cranky. Right, exactly. There you go. Yeah. So there's all kinds of ways that you can redefine late or what it means to be late so that the person who's speaking can experience their thought process in a different way or a more expansive way or simply looking at it from a bunch of different angles. So, yeah. So the pattern of speech for redefining is it's not that I am, or it's not that you are, it's that, or it means, you know, whatever they're saying, it means, I remember, this is so funny. I remember one time in a training, this is, this is when I was assisting a resource person in a training. So I wasn't really teaching, but we were in this, sweet like space where they had a kitchen right and i go back in there 
And I'm so I pop some corn. Well, what happens when someone pops corn in a space, right? Well, it's it's, it's noisy. It well, it's noisy, but it also it smells, right? And it didn't burn or anything, but popcorn has that very unique, enticing smell. Yeah. And so you have a bunch of people in a training and you start popping corn and you get that smell wafting off out into the training room. Well, then people begin to think, you know, wow, maybe I'm hungry. Wow, that smells really good. Well, maybe there's not enough for everybody, right? And so the trainer says at the intermission, he goes, you upset everyone by popping corn. (laughs) And I went, oh my gosh. So I worked through the whole set of, I think they're 14 slide of mouth patterns, whole set of 14 using your popping corn upset everybody or something. So cause effect relationship, Uh, popping corn uh, causes people to be upset. Oh, I had so much fun with that. (laughs) We happened to be, he happened to be teaching slide of mouth, which made it that much more (laughs) relevant. But so I use that in my examples when I teach to redefine that they're not upset. They're just hungry or I popcorn because I'm hungry. I wanted something to eat. So, yeah, the popping corn incident was quite the thing. And I made him laugh by going through all of the sleight of mouth patterns that I did. I bet you that was fun. Anyway, okay, so let's do let's do another one. So that's redefine. It's not that I am or it's not that you are. It's that blank or it means something. Yeah. Um, Counter example. Right. It's the next one. So finding and I and I chose some of the ones not in in line of how I teach these, but just I picked out some of the ones that I think are easy to learn and fun to use and that you're more likely to use anyway. So a counter example is finding an example that doesn't fit the relationship defined by the belief. So what's an example or an experience that's an exception to the rule defined by the belief? So again, Slide of mouth is loosening beliefs. They're conversational patterns that can loosen what people believe about something. And again, cause effect or a meaning, a meaning relationship. So if we say you come home late every night and that means you don't love me. And the patterns of speech for counterexample, well, haven't there been times? So you're looking for what's a counterexample? What, where does this belief not fit? Can you think of other ways? It's hard for me to find or think, or it's difficult for me to find or think. So using one of those, well, haven't there been times when you knew I loved you, but I was late? Yeah. Or you know, can you think of other ways that I show you that I love you? Or it's hard for me to think that being late has everything to do with love. That would be another one. Or it's difficult for me to think that being on time every night is a way to show love. Right. It might be one way to show love, but I think there's other things that are more important. So, or, yeah, I wasn't late yesterday. That's right. There you go. I wasn't late yesterday. <laughs> so uh, clear, what? What clearly, changed? Yeah. Clearly, I'm not always late. Right. 
<laughs> so those are uh, the counter example, I think is fun because you can always, always find a counter example to the belief. So you upset everyone by popping corn. Well, everyone, I upset everyone, 40 people in the training I upset and it was the popping of the corn that upset them. You know, it's difficult for me to think that everyone was upset by that. It's difficult for me, or it's hard for me to think that it was the popping of the corn that was upsetting. Or, gosh, can you think of other ways that I could upset people? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we sometimes these are really fun, you know, you can be funny with them. Um, you know, hasn't there been times when I did popcorn and no one was upset? Yeah. So, you know, when people make little statements like that, if you listen to people, Alex, do you have any examples? I'm just going to throw this off the cuff, but do you have any examples of some of the things that people say to you that really are very, in some respects, very limiting can you think of anything? I know that sometimes people, well, this always happens to me, whatever this is, you know. Yeah. Every, every time I go to the store, I always get the slowest cashier. Or every time I do this, something like this happens. Well, for me, from a business perspective, obviously, I've, I work in markets. You know, people say things like markets can't go higher. Or oh, yes. The, the market surely is going to crash. And for a lot of those statements, the kind of the belief is is not founded in in reality, right? I mean right. the belief comes from, you know, what they what they hear and not what they see necessarily. Sure. And markets and gravity are not the same thing. So what do you mean by that? Tell us what you mean by that. Market and gravity are not the by the way, folks, he's, he's talking about the financial markets, which I know you figured out. Uh, but when, he, when Alex says, well, I'm in the markets, I thought vegetables, fruit, you know, clothing. We, ah, the st- yeah, the, uh, grocery, the grocery market. Well, what that means is from a gravity perspective, you throw a ball up, it comes down. Right. And a lot of people think of markets, equity or stock markets like that right? The price goes up, therefore it must come down. Mm-hmm. And and that's not necessarily true. And it has to do with balance sheets and some other things. But as a balance sheet and the value of a company grows, so does the price of the stock. And over time, that, that has generally been, been up. And so that there is a higher value over time for a company. And therefore, it's not like gravity, Right. I mean, mm-hmm. just because the stock price is up, it can stay up or sideways or come down and stay sideways as a value increase. So there's all kinds of things that go into that. But right. OK. Um, but it, it is not, you know, people think that, well, it's like gravity and, you know, if it goes up, it's going to come down. That's whatever not, comes not, up. Yeah. It goes up, comes down. Yeah, that's not And not to get into a discussion about that, but just if you've lived as long as I have, you've seen the market go up and down. And on a number of occasions, but, you know, nobody died, really. Well, not since, (laughs) you know, not since 1930, but, and I wasn't alive then, so I can't really say that I was part of that deal. And that was a choice that a lot of people made, not, it wasn't something directly related to that. But I I do, I do think that for a lot of things that people don't understand, that they tend to rely heavily 
on beliefs that are they're not filled with possibility let me put it that way they're they're very limiting in some way they may have heard it from somebody a lot of times we get our financial mind from our parents or the people that we hang out with and so i've not mentioned this maybe i haven't or maybe i have but Alex and Spencer McGowan and their financial group do a radio show and they explain all of this sort of thing. So I always feel very educated when I listen to them because they go into a lot of things that most people wouldn't even know about. And uh, it makes me feel like, okay, well, you know, it's like being on an airplane, right? And you're not flying it. I tend to think of Alex and Spencer as the as the pilots. If they're not freaking out, I don't. I guess I won't freak out either. But um, <laughs> but that doesn't go for a lot of other people who are uneducated. And the less you know about something, and I don't care what it is, the less you know about something, the more you're likely to adopt either unrealistic expectations or beliefs about it that leave a lot of deletions, generalizations, and distortions on the table. So I just wanted to throw that out for folks if you're interested in that sort of thing. But that's true. People have a lot of limiting beliefs around around money. Even people mm-hmm. that have a lot of money can have a lot of limiting beliefs around money. Slide of mouth can be extremely powerful. I'm sure, Alex, you use these on a regular basis when you're, you know, you're talking with a client. And I would imagine you have to be very subtle, but you can still, you know, be very helpful when it comes to having them. Yeah. Oftentimes I'll ask for a counterexample from them. Oh, yes. Rather than providing one. Right. So, yeah, if they can come up with their own counterexample, then that's very, very powerful. Yeah. Not necessarily sleight of mouth, but it's still a powerful way. Uh, Counterexamples are very powerful in helping people expand what they think about something. So look for all the counter examples. All right. I think we've done counter examples pretty well. <laughs> it was, a, I think, hierarchy of criteria. Hierarchy of criteria. So this is an interesting one because we all base decision on criteria and it's usually in a hierarchy. And remember when we talked about different patterns in NLP, uh, one of the metaprogram profile patterns is criteria. And the question is, well, what's important to you about something? So when you're doing a hierarchy criteria in a sleight of mouth, you're reevaluating a belief and applying a higher criteria to the current statement, because those statements are going to demonstrate uh, criteria. You know, people say things because it's important to them. It means something to them. But if you add a higher criteria that's not included in the statement, it'll always enlarge the frame and get them to look at something that's more important than what's being addressed by the belief. What's interesting about this is that you can actually change how you do something or let me say it this way. Say, for instance, you want to do something, you think it would be valuable, but you don't do it. And oftentimes, I mean, there's a number of ways to approach that. But oftentimes, you don't do something because you're not applying the right criteria. 
In other words, either the criteria you're applying, what's important to you about it, is not high enough for you to do it, or what's interesting, sometimes people get conflicted about doing something, and it's Mm -hmm. because they're applying lateral criteria. It means that I can do this, or I can do this, or I can do this or not do this, and the criteria they're using to motivate their behavior is lateral with something else, and so they don't do anything. I had that happen one time when I was a young pup in NLP, and Mm -hmm. I I was saying to my coach, I said, well, I just, I don't know, I don't do this, you know. Well, what's important to you about doing that? And, you know, I told her, and she said, you know, well, what's important about doing blah, 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 X, you know. And I said this, and she goes, Susan, you're using lateral criteria. Of course, you're not going to do anything. They both have the same weight. We do things because of our criteria. If it's important to us, we do it. Criteria and values are similar. They're on the same echelon, the same level. And so values and criteria are extremely important to us, and they're part of our motivation strategy. So if our criteria isn't high enough, here's an example. What has to be there you know, what's important to you about having your teeth cleaned every six months? I guess most people do it. So what's important to you about having your teeth cleaned? Well, because I worked in the OTC drug industry for a while and abstracted dental literature and what happens when people don't take care of their teeth, that has a really high criteria for me as far as my health is concerned. And so it's not one of those things I enjoy, you know, and the older I get, the less I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But I, I know the value of it. And I know what happens if you don't do that. Or any kind of health thing. You know, exercise. Why don't I exercise? I know exercise is good for me. It's the criteria you're applying. So oftentimes, especially with, when it comes to medical things, unless there's some kind of threshold reach in a negative way, Because taking care of our bodies and our health tends to be move away from. We don't, if it's not broken, don't fix it kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. Unless, you know, a couple goes into a health club, they want to join, it's too expensive, they leave, right? They don't buy, they don't join. And then six months later, one of them has a heart attack and is told by their doctor, you better start exercising or you're going to die. And the next thing you know, they're back in the health club and they sign on the dotted line and it doesn't make any difference how much it costs. So that's just a quick little explanation about criteria and hierarchy of criteria. If you want to do something, you've got to up the game on what value or criteria you're using for motivation or you won't do it. So when you're using the sleight of mouth pattern, you know, what's a higher criteria? So in our example, right, we're talking about you come home late every night and that means you don't love me. Well, what's a higher criteria for that? Well, a loving relationship is important to you, isn't it? That's just one example. So the pattern of speech for a criteria is hierarchy of criteria is, well, which do you think is more important? You know, me being on time or, you know, me having an accident or which do you think is more important? Me working to make 
money for the family so we can have nice things, you know, have cars, have clothes, go on nice vacations, etc. or me coming home on time. Or if you're going to do blank is more important than blank, you know, you could do it this way. Having me be at home is more important than me making money. So that would be a way of kind of taking the, you know, knife and turning it a little. Um, Or (laughs) knowing that you have enough money to pay bills is more important. That would be another way to use hierarchy of criteria. So I would imagine that you use this a lot, Alex, when you're helping people financially, Mm -hmm. where finding what their higher criteria is for investing, I think would be extremely important, but I don't know. So maybe you have some thoughts on that. Yeah. So we, you know, we handle a lot of people that are coming into re- you know, retirement. And for a lot of them, the main driver is, hey, I need a source of income because I'm about to give up my traditional source of income. And how do I do that? And so that, that tends to be pretty high on the list, more than a lot of other factors, actually. So when you're, you know, when you're interacting with someone, do, have they waited till the last minute to do this? Or is it they're pretty financially solvent and they're just trying to figure out how to have an income from the money that they do have? Right. Yeah. They're, they're generally financially solvent. Yeah. So. We save yeah, it for a long and, time. Yeah. And so f- for those kinds of things, we're going to talk about money and put it in a hierarchy of criteria, what's more important? Because a lot of times people have to make these decisions, and especially people who are younger than I am, where you know we don't even know if Social Security is going to be around, right? Of course, they've been saying that as long as I've, <laughs> I've yeah. been living. Right? But obviously, a lot of people are figuring out that saving for their retirement on their own is obviously a prudent thing to do. So that's where hierarchy of criteria will come in. You know, somebody could say, I I don't really save money because I like to buy nice things, or I can't really save any money because my house payment is too high. Mm -hmm. So we could do hierarchy of criteria. That's ripe with it, right? So what's more important to you having enough money to take care of emergencies should they come up and or have a plan as you get older and don't want to work or can't work. You know, a lot of people when they're young, they don't understand that someday they're not going to have all the energy that they have. Well, they're going to live forever. Right. I know. And (laughs) we all think that when we're young. Yeah. And uh, that's okay. It gives us a tremendous amount of motivation and energy. But, um, you know, I've often thought about this, Alex, which has nothing to do with nothing, but about how, you know, what makes people old? Well, of course, their mental attitude, I think, is one of the chief determinants of that. But just from a biological standpoint, your cells quit dividing. And so there aren't any new cells being made. And then, you know, the cells that are there kind of wear out. They get, you know, your skin gets wrinkled and all that kind of good stuff. Mm. So given the inevitable, 
what is it that a person can do to be able to, you know, maintain a certain level of income, maintain a certain level of living that they're used to and want to continue. And sometimes that means making sacrifices when we're a lot younger. So, understanding your hierarchy of criteria when it comes to saving and investing for the long term. I know my husband has, uh, he's been, he started planning for his retirement when he went to work, (laughs) you know, as a young person. And I, you know, everybody's different. I just wonder, his dad may have been that way. I'm not quite sure what was his overall motivation, but saving money and investing money had a very high criteria for him because he didn't want to work his whole life. Yeah. And so it just depends. I mean, some people don't see that far out. Some people only see in the short term, not the long term. So I think that developing criteria and understanding what's higher for you. So if somebody says, well, I don't save money because my house payment is blah, 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 or it's too high, or I don't have that much money left over at the end Mm -hmm. of the month. So what's really, what's important? So is having uh, having a nice house is very important to you. One of the things that would be interesting is to say something like, well, having retirement when you're old, in your old age, when you don't want to work anymore is not important to you. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the opposite of that because they haven't thought that far ahead anyway yeah. so that's hierarchy of criteria and i think i'll let's do one more let's do um intention okay. intention's kind of uh it's coming up with what you think is the intention of why they're saying this the intention of the belief or the purpose of the belief either positive or n- negative so questions, why is this being said, or what is the secondary gain? It'll lead to what it's meant to accomplish. So what's the positive intention of the belief? So somebody says, you come home every night, and that means you don't love me. So my intent, your intent, you want to look for the intention behind the words. So an example would be, I'm late because I want to give my full attention to the person I'm with and don't leave them hanging. So that would be one thing. Or you could go the opposite. Are you concerned about whether I love you because you want to be sure I want to marry you or I really love you? Sometimes people will say things like that because they want to protect themselves from being hurt. So what's the intention behind it? If we take the money example we came up earlier with, my intention is to live for the moment. My intention is to have a nice place where I can entertain my friends. Uh, My intention is to, and sometimes unspoken, my intention is to spend every frigging cent that I make because the world may blow up tomorrow. And um, that can be an intention. Chances are that it's not going to, but some people live live like that. You popping corn upset everyone. So my intent was to get something to eat would be my intention for that. Right. 
So sometimes you can do, if you're if somebody's saying something to you about you, you say, well, my intent is to. Or if somebody else is doing it, you can say, oh, so your intent was to work late every night so that you could avoid any arguments that we might have. Or your intent is to work late to make money so we can go on this great vacation this next year. So it's yeah. always the intention behind the belief. So, well, that's four of them, right? That's um, redefine, counterexample, hierarchy of criteria, and intent. So next time we'll do some more of these so that you can get the hang of it. For our studio audience, I want you to just listen to some of the things that people say. And I think it would be fun, Alex, if people would email me at susan at nlptrainingconcepts.com. You can actually email me off my website. And in the contact form, there's, you know, a place for questions. Why don't you email us some statements that people make and see some of the beliefs that they say that are just completely off, you know, <laughs> and you wonder how they're making it through the day and give us some examples and we'll work on those for subsequent episodes when we're doing sleight of mouth. So we can help you guys come up with something interesting to say to people and to start practicing these right away. So I want I want to just recap for a second. Okay. Uh, I know you usually ask me to do that, but I'm thinking ahead. And I want to recap so that people understand what we're doing here. This is called sleight of mouth. It is a system of language patterns for persuasion and conversational belief changes. So it must be a belief. And the best sleight of mouths address either meaning or cause effect. So it's got to be a complete belief statement in order for them to be effective. They will unravel beliefs. They will make people doubt what they're saying. And it will help them shift meaning or reframe beliefs so that people can have a more wider or more enriched map of the world. So we did those four patterns, redefine, counterexample, hierarchy of criteria, and intention. And one of the things I didn't say earlier, Alex, but is important is that you only get one shot at this. If you do it and it doesn't work, you don't get another chance. That's the that's the downside. That is the downside of sleight of mouth is, you know, somebody just looks at you, you know, like you just spoke a foreign language that they don't understand, then it obviously <laughs> didn't work. But I gave you the patterns of speech. So redefine, it's not that I am, or it's not that you are, it's that, or it, that means, or it means. Counter example, haven't there been times? Can you think of other ways? It's hard for me to think. It's difficult for me to think or find uh, hierarchy of criteria, which is uh, which you think is more important or blank is more important than, than blank. It's interesting hierarchy of criteria 
it could become your next favorite one. And just, to, you know, and then intention, my intent, your intent, just practice these. And if you will send us emails with some of the things, the first thing to get to is to just listen to what people are saying. You know, when they present their arguments, their beliefs that are somewhat limiting, and we can use those on our next shows to be able to come up with some sleight of mouth for some of the examples that that you come up and that I think will help your learning experience. So, Alex, any any comments or questions or sarcastic remarks at this point? I know I did a lot of talking <laughs> this time. I don't mean to do that. I love sleight of mouth. It's one of my favorite things to teach. They're a lot of fun. And uh, we'll do some ones that can be real zingers. <laughs> And you know, good. I, I I love zingers. Um, yes, we got we got four down, ten to go. Ten to go. So Why we'll go through them a little bit faster next time because we won't go through all the explanation. Go ahead. Yeah. Why don't you tell us what you got on tap from a training perspective for the rest of the year? Ah, so right now we have just started. Well, actually, we just did our second weekend of the art and skill of presenting using NLP, very, very fun. And this time, instead of doing a five-day and then being off for a few uh, months and then doing another five days, we're doing five weekends. So we just had our second weekend. And it's, it's been different for me to teach it that way, but it's been a lot of fun. And so they get a little bit of information and they can use it and practice. And then they've just come back and them more. But we do a lot of, of, I think maybe we might do some podcasts around learning, which is some of the material from that course. Uh, So I'm pretty excited about that. And of course, then I have the mastery in NLP, which is a a combination course of um, practitioner and master's. So it really combines the two classes. So you get the entire model of NLP, which I think is extremely valuable when it comes to the unified field theory that NLP is actually is. So those are the kinds of things that I'm doing. Of course, coaching, just got a call from somebody this morning who set up a coaching appointment from someplace else in the United States who said, oh, I've been listening to your podcast. So that's some of the fun things you know, that I do is just to work with people individually, some of my listeners, or some of our listeners to be able to help them along their journey. So, yeah, you got to call Susan for that. You can't call me. Yeah, that's right. Alex. (laughs) Now, if if you need financial help, Alex, and you've got a lot of money to invest, believe me, Alex can help you take care of that. (laughs) Or even a little bit of money, but I'm not going to say that. Um, okay. I know Alex is very successful at what he does, and he works with a great small group of people that really do exceptional work in that area. So I trust him completely when it comes to money and what he knows about it. So there you go. Alex, Excellent. maybe you, well, of course you have. The, I like the pitch. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. You and Spencer do this radio show. Can you get back issues of that or do you have to be a member of something? Nope, we're on Apple Podcasts. Oh, um, there you go. And and they're all loaded there. It's networth networthradio.com. There you go. So there's Alex for you. You can h- listen to him and Spencer 
talk about things that most people don't understand about finances. <laughs> but <laughs> neither here nor there. I think it's fascinating. And I feel like they're really pilots in this era of financial, what a lot of people would call instability. So uh, it's always good to listen to somebody who knows what they're talking about. In the meantime, everybody, please be safe and have fun. And we will be back very shortly with more sleight of mouth. Thank you for listening to the Brain Language Podcast. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes or your favorite listening platform to keep up with our newest episode. Be sure to visit our website, www.nlptrainingconcepts.com, and find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter by searching NLP Training Concepts to keep up with free resources, upcoming training, and fantastic content. Thank you for joining us and taking our minds to the next level. We'll see you next time.